This podcast is sponsored by Exobionics, the makers of the medical exoskeleton ExoGT that aids in early mobility for rehabilitation. Learn more at exobionics.com or join us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, or Instagram. Take the next step with us. It's the Lean On Me podcast. I'm Shane Mosco. Jessica McNair was living in San Rafael, California, and woke up one morning with vertigo, and she knew something was wrong. Feeling confused, she grabbed the phone and just started pressing buttons, accidentally dialing Mountain Rescue. They told her she was having a stroke. Three days later, she had another stroke and was relegated to a wheelchair. Her sister, Kate, has been there every step of the way. They are closer than ever now. Jess and Kate, welcome to Lean On Me. Thank you. Thanks. I'd like to start where things are now and ask about this move that's coming up. Kate, you and your husband will be moving to California, from California to Minnesota, and Jess will stay here. Yep. Tell me about that. Yeah, I mean, it's it was a very hard decision to make, but um, I had a baby six months ago, and the city, though, no matter how much we love it, is very expensive with a kid, so... Um, I mean, it's a testament to Jess how far she's come that I, you know, definitely I feel bad leaving, but I feel confident in in how she's progressing and how she's getting along that, you know, I can move states across the country and, you know, we'll still be okay and she can always come visit no matter how much she does not want to come no, to Minneapolis. No, no. Um, but I will always come back and see her, but, you know, we'll still be just as close and, you know, this part of our journey has kind of ended, so. So Jess... Tell me about that. How how does how do you feel about this? Um, well, I know it's too expensive to live here, realistically, with a baby in San Francisco anymore for anyone. Um, I'm devastated, but I understand. Uh, on a really selfish level, I really want them to stay, mm-hmm. <laughs> of course. Uh, but I understand, and I mean, I don't mind flying. I like flying. I like traveling, so... I'll just jump on a plane and visit her, you know? For it's sure. Possible. So what, do you have a plan of where you're going to live? Or where, you, where are you living now, currently? Uh, right now I live with my parents. And um, it's, it's an ideal situation because there are a lot of um, kind of uh, facilities available to stroke survivors, such as the gym, and I'm working with a personal trainer, who's familiar with stroke survivors and um, there's a pool and um, and basically my parents are looking after me because I'm not able to live alone and they also give me the freedom and uh, ability to practice working towards independence like doing my own laundry or cooking my own food making my own tea you know Kate what's the hardest part about leaving your sister well, I love her, man. She's one of my most favorite people on earth. So, you know, aside from just being sister, we're best friends. And, you know, she knows me better than anybody else. And after everything that we've been through, through all of this, it's, it's also, you know, doubly as hard because I feel like I'm in a, abandoning her. And I hope she doesn't think that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm just going to miss her a lot. So I'm going to get all choked up. I don't want to... <laughs> How long after your stroke did you move in 
with your sister and how long did you stay with her for? Um, okay, so um, I was in acute rehab here in San Francisco at the CPMC and uh, I got discharged by them in, on June 17th. Kate picked me up from the hospital and immediately I moved in with them. They had arranged the whole apartment so that Kate and her husband, Matt, could live in this room that we're in right now. And I could live in the what is now the baby's room. Um, and it was it was actually a really nice living arrangement. Yeah. <laughs> it was like if we were in college or something. So. so initially when you moved in, this was a whole new life for you. Yeah, yeah. What was the most difficult part, just moving in? Well, when I moved in... Um, because in a, acute rehab, as with any hospital, you're woken up constantly. Like, they took my blood uh, once a week, every week. Um, you'd be checked on by nurses every hour. And they're not silent about that. They wake you up. like, And um, there's always noise. There's always someone screaming down the hallway. Or some... It's, it's terrible. Yeah. Um, so, moving here, it was really quiet. Like... Um, Kate would respect my privacy, which was wonderful. But at the same time, it was like, where is everyone, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and I mean, initially I was too scared to leave the bed and I was too weak to even walk. So, um, there was a lot of just, there is still a lot of sitting around, but with that, it was like, all right, so I'm up. All right, now I'm down. You know, it's like, really, that was all I could do, so. Kate, did you feel like you had to be next to your sister and kind of everything that she needed, you had to be there as you know, as soon as she needed? Did you did you find, you know, some ways to balance that out? And Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'd, I'd worked part-time, so, you know, I obviously used to work full-time. Uh, my job is pretty um, respectful of that, so just to make sure that, you know, if, if Jess needed anything, I had to get you know, have, be there for her. So there was a lot of planning when she first moved in. Like, we had to plan out our day. Like, if there was a doctor's appointment, we had to plan out, you know, how to, where to park the car on the street and how to get down the stairs and how to watch her. Because at first she was a lot weaker, and getting down the stairs was a huge thing. They are the enemy. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and it's really funny to look back on that because it was not that long ago, but we were, like, both pretty terrified of like, oh my god, are we gonna be able to do this? Yeah. There's no, there's no professionals here, and we're no, gonna do this alone. Tell, tell us what to do. Yeah. You know? So it was a lot of planning, and I'm glad it, that I was able to be here for that because it was, it was pretty scary to do that, you know. But at least we could do it together, and the frustrations were there. But, you know, what was what was it like the first? Do you remember the first time you left her alone? Oh my god, yes, and I will <laughs> never forget it. It was terrible because I was, I think terrible. I over asked you like, do you need anything? Do you need yeah. anything? Are you hungry? Do you need water? I definitely okay. swore at you until you leave me alone. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then I would text her constantly, just like, are you sure you need anything? She's like, leave me alone. <laughs> I'm sleeping. Yeah. So it got easier, but it also it was always hard. It was always hard to leave. Jess, when did you feel that you were comfortable enough to be able to get out of bed and to, to move around your house and to start trying to do things on your own? Um... I had, um, initially I had home therapy, so I had, um, I had a physical therapist and occupational therapist and a speech therapist come to the house. So with these people coming over, like they kind of forced me to get up and walk to the kitchen. It was just a matter of, um, 
kind of psychologically, you know, getting the energy up and being like, you have to do it, do it. Because I also made a rule with Kate. I was like, you have to serve me breakfast in the kitchen. Otherwise, I just knew myself I wouldn't ever get out of bed. Right. So you had to set goals for yourself to be able to. Yeah. And even small ones like that, right? It's those building blocks. It's not the, I'm going to get up and walk the block tomorrow. It's, you know, I I have to get up and be able to pick up the fork and and feed myself a little bit. It's still like that, so. Mm-hmm. So it's just it's small strides where you take yeah. the small wins. Yeah, little motivations. But she was really determined. Like she made us put tape down. Remember, <laughs> we had yeah. to put tape down oh, my yeah. whole hallway to see how far she could throw <laughs> the ball with her right hand because her right hand was not moving as well. And yeah, so it was stuff like that. And then she would write it. Down. We'd make a diary. We'd have the the calendar, <laughs> and so, so we fun. would every day have these little goals. That just is like we are walking to the end of the block at the end yeah. of the week. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> So. At the end of the week, I will make it to the cafe. Yeah. yeah. So, Jess, I know you've told me this story many times, but take us through what happened when you had your initial stroke. Uh, where were you living? You know, what kind of day was it? Um, okay, so let's see. The uh, initial strokes, there were multiple crazy, what do they call them? Cascades or something that brain bleeds in my head from a... Uh, um, a vertebral art, um, artery dissection that happened. And it was from me going to an acupressurist and he did some kind of funky movement with my head. And I mean, they say that I had uh, malformed arteries in the back of my neck anyway. So it was probably going to happen <laughs> eventually. But this way it was kind of brought on by an acupressurist. And I was acting funny a few days before I actually went to the hospital. Um, had the kind of boat feeling of the whole earth moving and, you know, kind of like uh, if you drank too much or something, but I was completely sober. Um, so it wasn't it wasn't the fun trip, like no, on the boat? And, yeah, it wasn't the booze rocking. cruise, which I call it. Yeah, the booze cruise with no booze and no cruise. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, um, Let's see, the day of, I woke up and I couldn't see very well, hence the reason why I called Mountain Rescue. And um, Accidentally. Accidentally, yeah. Because where I used to live in San Rafael, there's Mount Tam right there, which is a pretty prominent mountain. And um, they told me, oh, it's Mountain Rescued. I told them, I was like, I can't see. Um, I feel rather numb on on the right side of my body and and they were like it sounds like you're having a stroke so they sent over the um the ambulance and I actually walked and got myself into the gurney and went to uh Marin General Hospital so pause right there take me through you woke up you're just feeling you're feeling weird something's not right you reach for your phone you can't really see what's your first thought you're trying to dial 911 are you scrolling through your contacts to um, call your sister what's what was your plan what was your thinking yeah um that day I was supposed to meet up with my parents and we were supposed to go to lunch and um I called them and I said I'm feeling really rough I'm not quite sure what's happening I think I'm gonna try and call I called a friend of mine first she didn't pick up the phone and then I just could not see after that it was like it was like tunnel vision it got smaller and smaller and then I tried to get up 
and I just fell over like the earth was on an ax off its axis or something and I ended up falling out of my room and um and picked up the phone and I think I tried to call you it's all pretty it's pretty hazy mm. after that but um I managed excuse me I called Mountain Rescue and then the firemen and ambulance arrived and uh and you were you were conscious at this point the stroke hadn't yeah. really either kicked in or it only hit a little bit well, I knew something was wrong, so in my mind I was like, well, I don't want to trouble the 911 people, you know, that's what was going through my mind. <laughs> I mean, that might be their job. But <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's what was going through my mind was a not me kind of reaction. It was like, well, nothing's wrong, really. Come on, let's be real here. <laughs> so um, I didn't want to trouble anyone, and I just remember the ambulance people were in my living room, and <laughs> I was like... Sorry, it's so messy and like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, and um, I felt like really bad and I was like, oh, I'm sorry, you have to come all the way out of here, like, even though it's right downtown San Rafael and, and, um, uh, yeah. So you, so you felt that the way you're explaining it to me, it seems like you you thought you were, you knew something was wrong, but you thought you were okay enough where. I mean, there were, you can ask Kate, I mean. There were like huge swaths of denial, like from the very beginning to right about now. It's like, it's like I still believe that at the end of the month, it's like, yeah, sure, no, I could tackle that, no problem, and, you know. Did you see yourself as a victim for a while? Like, how did that? No, no, you never. You never saw yourself as a victim. It's, I've always had that kind of attitude. It's like, no, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. My boss actually came and visited me uh, with his wife in the hospital, and. Uh, uh, the second round of strokes that I had on St. Patty's Day on the 17th of March, um, I, I actually told him, I was like, maybe I can even work, you know? I was like, in such denial. I was like, no, I'll be fine, I'll be fine. Mm. You know? Now, Kate, take me through your initial, the, what happened when you heard this? She called you. What's your initial response? What type of day was it like for you? Yeah, I mean, I was at work, and I think the first f- phone call that I got that uh, you're you're waitressing. I was at my other job. I was at Plump Jack Wine Store, so I work at a at a wine liquor store, basically as a wine sales rep. And um, yeah, I was delivering a case of wine. I remember to a customer down the street, and I got a phone call from Jess. And this was before she had the stroke. She just was feeling really weird. She's like, I think my friend Tom's going to take me to urgent care. And for some reason, I knew it was more than it was. She's like, I don't feel good. I'm like, okay, you call me because something's wrong. Um, and then I didn't hear anything from her. My da- I got a phone call from my dad the next day. And uh, he was like, well, Jess has been taken in. Apparently, she has a blood clot in the back of her neck. And I burst into tears because it's like I knew. And I was like, I should have been, I should have gone to take Jess to urgent care. I knew that something was wrong. And my dad is on the other end of the line. Why are you crying? It's not that big a deal. I'm like, it is a big deal. This is a big deal. So, you know, the next day I was there. I was at the hospital and I, I went every day since. So, um, what were the doctors, what were the doctors telling you when you initially talked to them about Kate's injury? Um, they were, unsure of what it was everyone's like what looks like she had a stroke and but everyone's in shock because everyone nobody has a stroke at 32 so we're not quite sure why or why this happened or what it means or how serious it is but um 
Yeah, I remember getting there, and when I first got there, you were talking to your... PT. PT? No, it was the vocal woman. Uh, okay. Oh, I don't remember. Yeah. Some, someone who was, like, trying One to make of the... me stand, and I really wasn't having it. I'm like, yeah. don't make me do something I don't want to do. <laughs> but I ran in, and we started crying, and so they were all awkwardly standing back. <laughs> Now, did you, now, were you like, I'm so sorry for crying? <laughs> yeah, but it seemed extra awkward. I'm not quite sure why. I think it was because <laughs> because she and I had just such a visceral reaction of just was, like, oh, my God. It was immediate as yeah. well. It was like, I just saw her and was like, mm-hmm. that was the reaction. Yeah. But then we immediately and, started joking. So they kind of looked at us like, these two are weird. I know. <laughs> and I think because we are so like, we have our own kind of jokes and inside way of speaking to each other and do you remember what you were joking about I yeah i was like listen if you wanted a day off there are easier ways about yeah. going about it <laughs> don't have a stroke man right? <laughs> yeah everyone everyone jokes i think it was you actually that said because i used to smoke before this awful habit um but i think it was you that said like if you wanted to quit Quit smoking smoking, you could have chosen an easier way (laughs) and i was like this is yeah this is definitely going to be helpful for your smoking habits (laughs) all right shout out the american heart association yeah (laughs) right yeah and i was like you're gonna lose so much weight not drinking (laughs) oh yeah all right so immediately you found positives right i mean even though it's I mean, it's, yeah, it's the only way that we deal with stuff. We can't yeah. take it too seriously. We're not very serious people. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, when you think of the alternative, it's like, who wants to sit around moping all the time, you know? It's right. just, that's awful. It's killing I my mean, vibe over here. Right, exactly. So I'm like, I consider myself a pretty, it's it's strangely pessimistic and optimistic, optimistic way. Um, but through sarcasm, you find like, the way to deal with things, you know? Yeah, so. it's our English side. It's true. <laughs> Very <laughs> cheeky. Very cheeky. <laughs> cheeky. So, when, so you were talking to these doctors and they weren't telling you really what was going on. And yeah. as a 32-year-old, she shouldn't have a stroke. So did they cancel that out of their mind? They didn't think that was actually happening? Well, I mean, they kind of got a sense of the, you know, the birth defect part. Um, right off the bat. So they're like, it's because of her, the way her artery was when she was born. This is why this happened. But they didn't anticipate, you know, anything else. So they kind of gave us the sense of like, this is a one-time thing, a freak accident. You know, it doesn't happen to everybody, but it unfortunately happened to Jess. And we move on from here. But they seemed really positive that this was it. And she just have to go through all of these therapies and she'd be back to normal in a few months so how quickly did they try to discharge her like almost immediately she was in there four days the day i had the second round of strokes yeah second round said the 17th when my boss came to visit me so what happened after the 17th when they tried to discharge you um so i just remember feeling uh uh really bad and um, I, I don't remember. Kate would probably be able to tell you better. Well, they had moved her to the fifth floor, which is the discharge floor. So they moved her from ICU up to regu- a regular personal room. And they're like, tomorrow morning, you're going to be, you're going to get to go home. And everyone's so excited about it. At that point, I was not really into the idea. I'm like, I don't, I know you don't want to stay in the hospital, but I don't think she's ready. Yeah, it was very, Kate was sitting in the corner, very adamant, like, this is like, not this a good is, idea. Like, something's this not, not right here. <laughs> Are you sure? Yeah. yeah. What you're talking it about. was the same as when Jess said she was going to urgent care, and I was like, something's wrong, so. <laughs> just felt it. But yeah. the whole time I was like, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. You know? Then, yeah, she was, she went to the bathroom when she was at the fifth floor, and she started feeling weird, and she'd been so positive before that, 
you know, all of her friends had come to visit, and all of a sudden she just started crying a lot. She's like, oh, it was really hard for her to get to the bathroom, which it had been very easy for her before. So I'm like, okay, something's different. And uh, as the night progressed, she just started falling asleep more and falling asleep more, and then she woke up, and she looked at the blood thinner that was in the IV bag, and she was like, it's not working. But then she couldn't say any words, so she kind of just mouthed it to me. So I ran to go get the doctor, and it was like, something's wrong. It's, she said, you know, she's having, like, another stroke, I think. And he was like, oh, okay. He just kind of, like, <laughs> just like, like, re- cool. like moseyed his way <laughs> to the room. I'm like, we'll take let's care of have some, yeah, no problem. move a little faster, please. <laughs> um, and at the same time, her friends dressed to the hilt in um, St. Patrick's gear showed up with, like, oh, yeah. flowers right, right and to champagne. Start the party. Yeah. <laughs> And I was like, no. And she's back on the block. Yeah. Yeah. No. So, yeah. Yeah, I remember seeing them as I was like being wheeled away. So did the, did the doctor confirm that you actually, you had three strokes? Um, yeah, they're pretty, uh, I've gotten like, I've seen multiple doctors. So I've, I've gotten a few different answers as far as like how many what that, it could have been yeah, yeah and like um if i say just abroad three strokes when um the neurologist the first neurologist was like oh no you had about a, a hundred right here mm-hmm. you had about you know so it's rounds of multiple strokes wow. yeah i think you're uh holding the record up there <laughs> no high. yeah what is your percentage yeah I, d- is, I don't underdo it <laughs> she's got like um you're in the like five percent yeah they gave me five percent chance of living five percenter yeah she's a five percenter yeah right on dude (laughs) when these doctors are not they're being around the bush you did you have to change kind of your personality to get the answers that you want oh yeah for sure i mean i've i'm not really a person who seeks conflict i'm actually more of a quiet sit behind the scenes kind of person but in this you introverted yeah I don't, I don't talk a lot. Um, hermit, hermit. But for this whole situation, like once I had to go get the doctor and he was, you know, doing his little saunter to the room, I'm like, okay, there needs to be a sense of urgency here. Somebody needs to tell me what's going on. I stayed the night with Jess that night and I just watched her go from bad to worse. And they started going from different breathing machines. They're like, oh, she, she probably needs, you know, the mask. Oh, she might need this. I don't know the names of all the medical terms, but everyone like seems to be doing thing. it and like, huh, she doesn't seem to be getting better. I'm like, huh, let's actually move faster than this. Why is no one free? Yeah, out? and I was like, and then all of a sudden, you know, by the time the next morning rolled around, she was, they were talking about getting her intubated. intubated. And I was like, I feel like last night when I was saying, I think she's having a stroke, somebody should have done something more than being like, huh, this is weird. Maybe... Maybe they should have done their job. Yeah, like yeah. you're in ICU or in an emergency room hospital. You Move had one faster. Job. Yeah. So I was pissed, and then I didn't. <laughs> I did not trust a doctor after that. <laughs> I didn't trust the neurologist who was like, "Well, it looks like." I'm like, "Somebody find me what it is." Some like go to Sweden and get the doctor who's like, "Oh yeah, I've seen this before." Like somebody tell me an answer, not, "Well, we're gonna have her do another MRI." For the fifth time. <laughs> and, you know, then we'll see. And then maybe. And I'm like, there's so much time that's going on between these MRIs and the next doctor on duty and the next nurse who comes on that she's just getting worse every single time we're waiting. Um, Yeah. So I definitely wasn't quiet during yeah. those times. Yeah. Was, thanks, dude. Yeah. You had to learn. <laughs> it's a process, right? And I remember when I got injured in a spinal cord injury accident, my parents... 
my mom especially had to advocate for me and I'm just really, I'm try, really try to understand what was going on because like, like you said before, the doctors, they weren't specific. They yeah. didn't know. They knew that everything was fine with my brain, but, you know, that's they didn't exactly know. So my mom's sitting there advocating like every day, you know, especially trying to like keep you in the hospital because with insurance it's like they're trying to kick you out as kick well out, yeah so i mean, i know everyone goes to the, the insurance system. battles it's like yeah you know you're but here yeah, to help that's the, crappy, that's the, the crappiest part because yeah. i mean it's like but you're taking so long it's your fault that she's yeah. here yeah the bells keep coming to you yeah it's great so i'm gonna take a sidebar tell me what your guys' li- life like just will start with you before your accident so originally, Kate and I both were born in Hong Kong, and I lived there until I was nine. Kate till she was eleven. Um, I don't really. I'm really rough on the timeline, so Kate's really good at it. Why don't you? Yeah. So we lived there. We were born and raised in Hong Kong, essentially, and then my dad's a pilot. So Hong Kong. Yeah, that yeah. was fun, man. That was the best way to. That's grow all up it ever. was, though. No education were, were, or anything. No, it was. <laughs> your dad was a pilot, mm-hmm. so you must have traveled a lot. A lot. <laughs> yes. We were very lucky. Which, what places? Um, oh, gosh. Thailand a lot. Uh, Malaysia. Um, Singapore. Singapore, South Africa. Um, what am I missing? I a lot. A, all of Europe, yeah. pretty much. Hungary. Yeah, all over. Yeah. And then, you know, obviously mainland China. That was a lot of fun. We've walked mm-hmm. the Great Wall a couple times. And Macau, so of course, was just right there, so... And we always used to boat out to the islands right off of Hong Kong. So damn, that sounds like a tough life. It was, oh, yeah, it was really rough tough. Stuff. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was really rough. Yeah, <laughs> looking back on it, it's like we complained because we had to get on another plane, and you know we were so young that you know we didn't want the jet lag. But now I'm like, oh my god, we were the luckiest kids ever to yeah. be to have been you know in Hong Kong as kids was awesome enough in itself. But. Yeah. But to be able to go to all these countries while we were growing up, it was pretty awesome. Yeah, so. one of our biggest fights as kids was who was going to sleep on the floor, you know, like... On the plane? On the yeah, plane. on the plane. <laughs> yeah. It was a huge argument all the time. It's funny because one of our best memories are always on planes, like watching Homer Bound for the oh first God, time. burst in tears. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. With the dogs talking? Yeah. Yeah, man. Great movie. So sad. Great oh, God, movie. it's awful. Classic. Yeah. <laughs> what were you doing leading up to her accident as far as a career and... I was in, I mean, I've been in the wine industry for a long time, so hospitality mainly. I was um, a server in San Francisco in a couple of places, which is where I met my husband, who's a chef. Um, and at the time, I was working at this place called Plump Jack, which is actually owned by Gavin, Gavin Newsom. Newsom. <gasps> Very exciting. No. Um, and yeah, I was a um, wine sales person there. Okay. So um, yeah, that was pretty much it. My husband and I just gotten married and you know, we were. So your husband's a chef. He's a chef. You're in the wine industry. That mm-hmm. sounds like a They're pretty made good for each other. pair. Yeah, yeah. So I did mean, you guys have any dreams of opening up any restaurants? Or? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's another reason why we're moving to Minneapolis because that's where the dream can happen. It's essentially well in the beginning of our relationship, we're like we're going to do it here in San Francisco. We're never leaving, and um, but it's just not feasible. I don't know. We would have to do it out of this apartment and <laughs> somehow get a liquor license. Um, yeah. But it is possible in Minneapolis, where my husband's from originally, and we have family there, so it just made sense. And so the dream is real, and we can do it, and we can save for it, and you know, and just open up like his dream is to open up a really cool burger, dogs, and beers on tap place, you know, family friendly, and so 
It's going to happen. You let me know when, yeah. when you guys do that. I will. I'll, I'll be sure to Check this space in five years. <laughs> <laughs> Jess, where did you go to rehab? Um, so I did acute rehab initially from, I was in Marin General Hospital, and then I got transported over to CPMC, where I was still, I still had the trach in, and I guess you could really refer to me as a vegetable at that point. I was not moving at all. Um, Were you conscious? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I was mouthing everything. I couldn't speak, of course. Uh, Kate could understand me, which was useful. She was the only one that could understand me, actually. And um, and basically at the CPMC in San Francisco here, um, I had three amazing people working with me. I call them my heroes. I have four heroes. It's my sister, this girl Nella, who is my physical therapist, Christina, my occupational therapist, and Rebecca, my speech therapist. And uh, I still meet up with them today. Like, we're going to go out to dinner. Um, I think it's next week or something. Um, and uh, That's great. Yeah, they basically, Nella uh, got me standing up and moving and essentially taught me how to walk again. And then Rebecca, every morning, would practice with the electronic stimulation machine on the muscles of my throat to swallow and speak again. And then Christina helped me with uh, moving my hands and arms. And the three of them were all kind of the same age. So so it wasn't long before you started seeing progress. No, in the that was so fast. Yeah. That was so fast. It was crazy. I remember the what was it a month in and she had been doing we had just been waiting for the trait to come out waiting for the trait to come out and that felt like it took forever, forever. for her to get the trach out and i could not wait because it was just it looks so uncomfortable obviously it is and you know for her own you know to be able to swallow and eat solid food i had a, I had a trach as yeah. well yeah yeah you know so yeah. the relief of it for you know for me to have her, for her to have that relief i was just like i couldn't wait yeah i started craving really weird food yeah, yeah and it was odd. were you limited on what you could eat or could well, you well i had anything? a feeding tube so okay yeah that was the worst yeah Written feeding tube gas would clear out yeah yeah <laughs> She definitely cleared out a room. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then it was all it was all the yogurts and the honeys and the stuff. Yeah. And did like, they yeah. did they make you like thicken? Yeah, the, oh, oh my yeah. god, yeah. I was drinking Gatorade and it was just awful. Thickened like, Gatorade. Yeah, yeah. Was, I know. It thickened uh, coffee. coffie. Oh, it was awful. I remember that. Was I tried so it and I was like, oh, oh. thickened coffee. Yeah, and then the barium and the X-ray machine. Yep. And you got to see your food literally going down your esophagus. Yeah. It was so weird. Right. But because I was friends with Rebecca, she's like, look, this is what's happening. It was really funny. She, like, made a joke out of it. So I had I had a lot of really, really cool people around me. So I remember I had the trach in one time, and I took the collar off to just, they were cleaning it. And I and I coughed and it just it came went, out. Loop. Yeah, <laughs> and I had to like try to figure out how to put it back in. Yeah, quick. that and happened to me. Getting that out <laughs> and then getting her voice back, I think, are the two. Yeah, Huge. they had a they had a special thing. I should really know what it's called, but I forget. But it's um, it worked with the vibrations of your vocal cords, and they taught me how to say like "Hi, guys," and those were my first words. Well, you said "Hi, and, Kate," and I yeah, burst and Kate burst out crying. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, when I was I was voicing right, I was trying to I couldn't talk. I was it was like a open windpipe. Yeah. And you're trying to mouth these words. I remember my sister as well. She was huge in my support group and process of getting better and she was having to 
translate for these nurses because they couldn't understand what right. the hell I was saying. Yeah. <laughs> and then I remember he put a different cap on the trach. And right. I was like, I can talk? And yeah, it was... It was it yeah, was it was like a little propeller, right? Just to hear yeah. your own voice. Uh, I mean, it, oh, it's, man, crazy. it's crazy. It's I'm crazy. Back. Yeah, <laughs> you'd never think you have to deal with this stuff. What would you say is the hardest thing that you've had to deal with with your stroke was it is it physically is it mentally is it both um i think it's definitely physically the loss of motor ability um um and the freedom that you lose it's uh adapting to that is is really really difficult so mentally um i feel like i'm stuck <laughs> i'm trapped kind of like in this body so yeah so dealing on the medical side you're advocating for your sister how did you go about finding the right insurance finding the people that are going to keep her in inpatient longer did you have to fight for her to stay there longer to get better yeah i mean i definitely had to it was hard because all the insurance stuff was stuff that my parents were had had to because they were essentially in charge or her what is that word um um legal uh, guardians then yeah Yeah. so So. if anything happened to jess they were supposed to be in charge but my my dad worked and my mom was you know having a really hard time with everything so i was the only one who was there so i was really jess's voice for everything um including the really bad stuff like that guy with the hair Um, (laughs) what what about the guy with the hair oh see this is why we joke so the the guy with the hair was actually (laughs) the most depressing part he was the guy who would walk up to me and ask me about you know if Jess doesn't want to continue this life, we, we can talk about how she can move on peacefully and DNR and, and stuff like this where I'm like, um, I need an adult. I can't make this decision. Yeah, hashtag adulting. Yeah. So, so they told you that there was a good chance she that wasn't going to make yeah. it? And that's, they weren't telling me any. they weren't saying it to our face. So they sent the guy with the hair to talk to me about it, <laughs> which I went to Jess because he walked up to Jess and would hold her hand. That's gross. And yeah, and get all up in her business. Be like, listen, are you okay? We need to, I'm like, get, get, get away. Yes, but Kate so understands. I hate being touched. Yeah. So when so. he would leave, I'd be like, so guess what this guy just talked to me about? <laughs> no. Even though I couldn't talk, I could like. <laughs> so a uh, question for you. Would you rather yeah. live or not live? No. What is that? What Do is you want to go to sleep or no. what's up? Forever? <laughs> I know it's the the worst thing to joke about. We're terrible people, <laughs> oh, but that was the only way we could get through it because it was like this is ridiculous. Right. What were you into before your injury, and have you found new hobbies? Um, gosh, <laughs> um, I did work a lot when I was living here. What were you doing? Um, I was working at a bar. I was a bartender, um, at two different places actually, and um. And when I wasn't, I would be out, like I was, I was maybe in the house, probably, I don't know, 10% of the time, you know, only to sleep. I didn't even eat at home. I would just be out of the house as much as possible. That's just how I was, you know, so always on the go. And um, yeah, just basically hanging out with friends and hiking. And What was your plan kind of during or before your injury? Were you planning on moving anywhere? And I know right. you traveled all over the place. Yeah, part of the reason why I worked so much when I was here was uh, the end goal. It wasn't about the job itself, even though I really enjoyed kind of the customer service aspect of meeting new people, uh, was to raise money to travel and to, and when I travel, I do it in a pretty unorthodox way, 
which is to move to a country and live there for a while. Just submerge yourself. <laughs> right. So actually, um, my best friend lives in London. Um, so does my brother and his wife and the kids. And um, I had always dreamed about moving back to London. And I had actually kind of sold myself on the idea that uh, the month that I had the strokes was going to be the month that I was going to move to London. <laughs> My best friend I was going to live with, and they were ready for me to come over. And so, but I mean, it still could happen, even though they just got engaged, like she, my best friend or boyfriend. So, let's see what happens. <laughs> Is there anything that you would want to say to maybe somebody going through something similar like this and dealing with being a caregiver or dealing, being a victim of, of a stroke? I think um, to keep a sense of humor about it as much as you can, depending, I guess, on your personality, if you are, I mean, Jess and I joke around all the time. That is just how we are. So finding not, I guess, the humor in it, but at least keeping yourself light. Of, yeah. So also it's our least favorite word, but patience, you have to have patience. And it's like, sucks. It's, <laughs> yeah, it really sucks. And it does suck. And say that out loud, you know, you know, vocalize. Yeah, the fact to, that add to, that, off. to add to that, it's like, uh, very important to express yourself. Yeah. Kind of, it is a horrible situation. And no one ever expects it to happen to you. So I think it's very cathartic to let it all out every once in a while, you know, mm -hmm. like, have that pitch of a hissy, hissy fit and and don't apologize i mean like this awful thing just happened to you like yeah just have the know. meltdown and let it happen and yeah just deal with it you know <laughs> and then wake up the next day and do yeah. it again you so. just really gotta get a strong personality after that you know just keep pushing yeah motivated yeah because it does going. get better there's you know tomorrow will come and and every day is, is different. It and doesn't feel like that. And I keep saying that I don't notice a difference. But when I'm reminded of where I was, you know, from when I initially was in the CPMC and couldn't walk and couldn't eat and couldn't talk, it's uh, it's a that's a motivating factor, you know, so definitely. Well, Kate, being a caregiver and you have to take care of your sister, did you have to make career changes in order to help your sister? And then did you decide to go back to them? What did you do? Um, yeah, I went, I mean, went part time when Jess moved in, um, so that I could be here for her for as much as possible. Um, and then I think it was just a joint decision between Jess and I, I definitely talked to her and we communicated about me going back more to work because she just got stronger and more independent. And there was less that me being here hovering over her that was doing that was helpful. So it was more like, I was a nuisance in her life. So you so feel like, <laughs> were, you, were you hindering in her recovery at all? It was or? just kind of like, it was, you know, it was making more of an issue out of it. It was yeah. like making it a point that Jess was different and disabled. And, you know, it's like mm. me having to change everything. And because yeah. I know Kate and I know how much she likes to work, she actually really enjoys to work hard. Yeah. I knew that her being home and not doing anything was actually driving her insane. So I'm like... Come on, level with me. You have to go back to work now. It's it's about time. Like, do you trust me enough to be on my own? Like, we had to, I had to reassure her, you know. So then at one point you just said, I'm going to throw you in the pool and you're going to figure out how to swim. Exactly. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. And and she was like, yeah, do it. <laughs> Kate, how did you take breaks from everything? How did, emotionally? Um, I mean, while she was in the hospital, coming home to my husband, who's the most amazing support for me, 
that's what I could do. So I was lucky enough to have him to come home to. Um, otherwise, I mean, I just would, I wouldn't know what to do. So, so that was your main support of being yeah, able to turn to him. And definitely my husband. So did you have to make a lot of changes to your house to modify and terms? Yeah, of but it, but Matt, my husband, loved doing it. He's a he likes to change the rooms around Design a lot. Rooms. He was like, oh, let's draw it out. Yeah, <laughs> so he likes to like draw out plans of the apartment. He's done it three times since we lived here already. He when I was like, in the hospital, too. yeah, he's like, I I planned out your rooms. <laughs> That's so funny. He was happy to do it, and he he put up sound barriers between the doors, and he made it to, two completely separate bedrooms, and it, it worked out really well. So how has this affected your relationship as sisters? I think um, if anything, it's made it stronger. I mean. Um, before we were we were close i mean um we saw each other probably on every other day basis we both work a lot or worked i worked a lot and kate works a lot and so we would we would try and see each other even before on a regular basis but now it's it's reinforced the the bond i guess it's taking less of the the petty things that we used to argue about seriously yeah it really doesn't seem that important anymore the silly arguments we used to have are like hmm and now we still argue about stuff, yeah. but they don't last very long. But you kind of afterwards, it's like, it just needed to get that out. Yeah. Sorry. And then we're like, okay, let's... Shrug it off. Like, Yeah. Moving around, you've learned all these languages. Do you still have these languages? Do you still know some <laughs> some words? And Only how to say cheers, because the most important thing is to have a drink with the locals. <laughs> it's true. Touche. Yeah. <laughs> I can't thank you two enough for being on the show and sharing your hearts with us. And I look forward to possible events with you guys again yeah, in yeah. thank yeah, you thank you lean on me is produced by connected social media with support from the national stroke association and exobionics i'm shane moscow <laughs>